So Revelation 18 and today's lesson, I'm going to title it Babylon, the Defiant City. Last week in chapter 17, we talked about Babylon, the spirit behind Babylon, okay? The spirit that drove it, okay? And we'll see a little bit of that today. But today, chapter 18 talks just a little bit more about the actual physical city, that there's going to be a city someday that's going to dwell here on the earth. It's going to be in power on the earth, and uh, the Lord's going to throw it down. So uh, along that line, let's pray this morning before we start reading, and then we'll get into what uh, what the Lord has uh, uh, for me to share with you. Father... We come to you today in Jesus' name, God. We give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, for thy presence. We thank you, Lord, for all those that's been able to gather. We thank you, Lord, for those that are going to listen later on on the podcast. And we pray, God, that you would have many people be drawn to it today because this is a very important message. But, Lord, give us the ability now today. Give us the words to speak and what we need to say that we may learn from thy word today about this great thing that's going to happen here in the end of time. Lord, you put it in the Bible for us to read and said it was to be given to the churches. And we see there in this lesson today in Revelation 18, Lord, that we have much to rejoice about because the thing that has caused so much trouble and so much problems in the earth is eventually going to be cast down. And we give you thanks today. In Jesus' name, be with us as we open the scriptures. Amen. In Revelation 18, I'm just going to, I kind of made a few notes of some things I wanted to talk to you about as we read through chapter 18. Like I said, the title is Babylon, the Defiant City. And let's read verses 1 through 3, and I'll share a couple things with you about those verses. So Revelation 18 and 1 says this, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Verse three says, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth, excuse me, have become rich through the abundance of, of her luxury. Now we talked last week about this the Lord how the Lord described uh, Babylon as a as, as a harlot, okay, a prostitute, and how much that contrasted the virgin daughter of Jerusalem. So we know that this Babylon city that he's talking about here is going to be the very express image of everything evil upon the face of the earth. And just a couple things I'd like to mention along these uh, first few verses. When it says Babylon the great This latter-day city, which embodies all the ungodly characteristics of mankind, will fall. It's going to fall one day. It was prophesied in Jeremiah, and it's prophesied here in Revelation that it's not going to stand forever. Amen? Now, I'll read a few things, some notes that I've made here the last few weeks, and uh, even yesterday. Some scholars believe the word Babylon is code or symbolism for the city of Rome. Now, the city of Rome was the headquarters of the Roman Empire, which was in full power at the time of the book of Revelation was being written. And no doubt it meets nearly all the characteristics ascribed to Babylon the Great. Rome was known for its decadence and lavish existence. Commerce thrived and also pagan worship. 
Rome also ruled the land of Israel with an iron fist, much like ancient Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And we have to remember that it was actually the Romans who delivered and put Jesus on the cross, okay? But now I just want to mention a few things before we move on. I personally don't believe Rome is what the Bible is talking about here. I don't believe the city of Rome is what God is referring to when he says Babylon. And I, and I believe that for four reasons. I just want to share those with you and then we'll move along. The first reason is that Bible, the Bible says Babylon, not Rome. Uh, some scholars believe it doesn't say Rome so that the Roman authorities wouldn't be offended and, and, and that they was going to kind of try to fly under the radar. But judging from the rest of Scripture, I don't believe God is intimidated by anyone, much less a Roman emperor. So the Lord doesn't have to speak in code. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. So if the Bible says that the city's called Babylon, then that's what it's going to be. It's going to be called Babylon. I don't believe he was intending Rome as in some kind of secret code word to figure it out. The second reason is in Revelation 17, 3 and 7, the beast, which is the Antichrist, it says that it carries the harlot, which is the city. It means it's empowered by the Antichrist. And then in 17 and 9 through 11, it says that the beast, which is the Antichrist, is the eighth king who would rule the known world including the land of Israel. It says that the beast was, which meant it was formerly an empire, and currently is not. That means it's not currently an empire at the time of, of John's vision. So in my opinion, Rome cannot be the city intended because it did exist and was ruling over the land of Israel when Revelation was written. Therefore, the city, the, the city would therefore have to be part of an empire that had already fallen in John's day. That's the second reason I don't believe Rome was intended. The third reason is this. Babylon has, be, has been a place of defiance for almost as long as man has been on the face of the earth. Very soon after the floodwaters of Noah's day receded, men built the city in defiance of God. Now the word Babylon in our Bibles is just another word. For, it's the same place as Babel or Babel. Some people call it Babel. I call it Babel. And that's found in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, we learn that man defied the commandment of God to Noah, which said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wanted mankind to spread out and inhabit the whole earth, but the people instead built a city and was in the process of building a tower that would reach into the heavens. Remember that story? That's what they were doing. And the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord had to go down among them and see what they were up to. And when the Lord seen that they were all unified in this one thing, basically they were unified in the defiance of God. God said, I'm going to confound their languages and I'm going to put an end to this mess right here of building this great tower that's supposed to reach into the heavens. In Genesis 11 and 4, the people of that day made a statement. And we have to take into account this statement they made. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. It's part of what they said when they were getting ready to build the tower. Let us make a name for ourselves for a reason. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This was in complete defiance of God's command to spread out and fill the earth. Then the Lord confused the people's language and thereby forced them to separate from one another. 
And so to sum up this third reason, I believe Babylon, not Rome, has long been recognized as a place of defiance. Rome is actually now recognized as the home to Christianity. I want you to think about that. When a lot of people hear the word Rome, the city of Rome today, what are they they reminded of? What do they think of? Vatican City, where the Pope is, and all the things that supposedly represent Christianity to the known world. So we see, I just don't believe Rome is what the Bible intended. And the fourth reason, and probably the most important reason, and and the one we have the most proof for, is that the prophecies concerning Babylon have not yet been completed. A lot of people looks at Jeremiah 50 and 51 and thinks, oh, that was completed when Cyrus came and took them over. But if you go back and read those things, those things have not happened, not even close. And I'll share a couple with you. Now, the city which Nebuchadnezzar ruled from is no longer in existence. However, its overthrow by the Medes and Persians was nowhere close to being as drastic as predicted in Jeremiah 50 and 51. It says that at Babylon, the slain of all the earth shall fall. That's one of the things you'll find in that passage in chapter 50 and 51. All the slain of the earth shall fall at Babylon. When the Medes and Persians, however, took control of Babylon, there wasn't much of a fight at all. When you read Daniel 5, 30 and 31, the people of Babylon, including the king, was having a big party. They were celebrating. They was having a big festival, right? And the next thing they know, boom, they've been taken captive. And history even teaches us, the, the Persian history and also the Babylonian history, said there was really never a shot fired. They just came in and took over. It wasn't some big, long, drawn-out war where they murdered and killed a bunch of Babylonians in the street. No, and in in war, that didn't happen. History says that there wasn't even a battle. And Cyrus came alone against, against Babylon. Think about that. Cyrus came down by himself. He didn't have to have a bunch of other nations. The Bible says there in Jeremiah 50 and 51 that it's going to be a, a multitude of nations come down from the north and overtake Babylon. So we realize that that what we're thinking may have already happened hasn't fully happened yet. So the prophecies have not been fulfilled. Uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 says that the the nation of, uh, or the city of Babylon will be overthrown by many nations. Jeremiah 51, 48 says the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth will rejoice when Babylon falls. And when Babylon fell in Daniel 5, the world had nothing to rejoice in. Think about this. One conquering empire defeated another. The oppression of the Babylonians over Israel and all the other nations was simply replaced by the oppression of the Medes and Persians. There was nothing to celebrate. One group that had ruled and reigned over the God's, God's people in Israel replaced another one. There was no real rejoicing of all the nations. The Bible says in Jeremiah 50 and 51 that all the nations of the earth will be be glad that this has happened. Nobody was glad in that day when it happened. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah 51, 58 says the nations of the earth will be weary because of the, the fire which will destroy the great city. When Cyrus defeated Belshazzar, the city mostly remained intact. Revelation 18, what we're going to read here in just a few minutes, foretells of the exact same judgment as Jeremiah 51. 
The nations of the whole earth will be astonished when they see the great fire that utterly destroys Babylon. Both places in Jeremiah and in Revelation said there's going to be a great fire and the city's going to burn and burn with such a fire and a heat that people from nations far away will look and see it and be like, oh my goodness, what is happening? The whole place is being burned, burned to, the, to the ground. Amen? Amen. And here's an interesting tidbit I looked up in history from my uh, Hallman. Uh, I, I like to read a lot of uh, Hallman dictionaries and just get definitions of different things. But they had this little small commentary in there from a history book. Eighty years after Cyrus took control of the city of Babylon, uh, the Greek historian named Herodotus, he visited the city and said, it surpasses in splendor any city of the known world. Eighty years after it had been taken over. So the overthrow Jeremiah predicted has not happened yet. Because what Jeremiah said is it's going to burn to the ground and everybody's going to wail and, and be uh, dread, think what a dreadful thing has happened. Same thing in Revelation. Then 130 years after that, Alexander the Great, uh, everybody that studies history knows about Alexander the Great who started the Grecian Empire. 130 years later, Alexander the Great was in the process of restoring and preserving it when he died. He thought that it was such a grand city that it needed to be sure to be preserved. So it was still standing even then. So we're talking now about around 210 years after Cyrus took it over, it's still going along like really nothing had changed. So the prophecies had not yet been fulfilled. That's why I believe Babylon is actually what the Bible means and not Rome because there's things yet to be fulfilled to that city called Babylon. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 4 and 5 says this. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This verse is in there to show us one thing, that Christians should have no part in the defiance of God and His commandments. If we tell and say that we are Christians and following Jesus Christ and reading this book, then we have no place following the things that Babylon does, following the things that are defiant of what God expects. Amen? Amen. The evil city Babylon has influenced all the world in defiance of God and promotion of self. Remember that little phrase today. The Lord showed me that. I hadn't even thought of it myself. The evil city Babylon has influenced all the world in the defiance of God and promotion of self. Now you think about how many people have, have, have been underneath of that at some point in time. Every single person, haven't they? Amen. Jeremiah 50 and 8, 51 and 6, and 51 and 45, and here in Revelation 18 and 4, warns the people of God to depart from the ways of Babylon. The entire world system operates under the influence of Babylon. Defiance, idolatry, covetousness and greed, sexual immorality, shedding innocent blood, hating what is good and loving what is evil, etc., etc., etc. Children of God should have no part of the evil that is Babylon. That's why that verse is in there. It just all of a sudden pops out. Come out from among her, my people. Don't be a part of what's going to happen to her. Amen. 
So that's why we follow God and read this Bible and we listen to what it says and we do what it says. Amen? Because we don't want to be one of those that's, that's a citizen of Babylon in, in essence and be in defiance of God Almighty. Amen? Because her day is coming. Praise God. Verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> It says, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuri luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see any sorrow. What those two verses remind me of is some other New Testament writings. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow is what we reap. I want you to look how the Bible says that. Babylon, this woman who is signified as Babylon as a great harlot, will reap double what she has sown. The very heartache and the problems and the sinfulness and the wickedness that you have mixed in your cup and given to the rest of the world, now that very same thing is going to be mixed double and poured out upon you. That's what the Bible's saying here. You know people who live their life in an evil way. It's a very amazing thing to me. They live their whole life evil, just beating down on people, cheating, lying, stealing, and breaking up homes and all that kind of stuff. You know what eventually happens to them? Their end is dreadful you know what i'm talking about some of you know what i'm talking about it's an interesting point here i think to throw this in with this verse uh, with verses six and seven you ever thought about this the longer people get away with evil the more arrogant they become if you do one thing and get away with it you're a little more bold to do it again right then you're a little more bold to do it again and here's what he's saying about this evil city she got away with it for a long time. And look how look what she said in her heart. Verse 7, about halfway down. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. She's gotten away with it for a long time. All the way back to the Tower of Babel. But her day's coming, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Verses 8 through 10. Therefore, it says, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will utter, be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And all I would say about those three verses is that it is swift punishment because of arrogance and pride. It's amazing to me how people can go along and just live evil, evil, evil and do all those things we discussed a moment ago. And then all of a sudden, in one moment, pow, it's over. And then there is no remedy. That's what the Lord is saying is going to happen to this wicked city. Amen. Now let's read verses 11 through 19 and I'll share a couple things on those. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. 
merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of every, uh, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that you your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more, no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? Verse 19 says, They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which who all, all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Great will be the overthrow of this ungodly city, this ungodly system that has ruled over the face of the earth for a very long time. I had a couple of things, uh, notes that I made to mention about those verses, 11 through 19. God describes Babylon as a harlot or a prostitute. It's interesting that a prostitute is not concerned about those who lays with her. Think about that. They don't care about those that, that lay with them. Prostitutes don't. She wants to get money and will do whatever it takes. Those that lay with the harlot are not concerned about her either. They want one thing from her and they're willing to pay for it. They only want her to please them and they gladly pay her for it. And I want you to notice here in the scriptures, notice that those who weep and mourn for Babylon are not weeping because they care for the city, but because they can no longer be gratified by her wickedness. Because they, she has made us rich. Oh no, what has happened to this great city? They didn't care about the city. The harlot was using, her, using them and they were using the harlot. In this the judgment, in this judgment, the infinite wisdom of the Lord is seen. Both parties care only for themselves and they are worthy of each other and worthy of their punishment. I want you to think about that. There are people in this world who will use you and use you and use you. It's coming to an end. It won't stand forever. These people who did business with the great harlot and the harlot who did business with them, they were just using each other to both get what they wanted. But it won't stand forever. And we've been swayed underneath of that world system, right? 
If you want this, then you've got to do this. If you want that, then you have to do that. On and on and on. But God's going to put an end to it one of these days. Amen? Amen. In verses 20 through 24, and we'll finish with these. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Verse 22 says, The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Verse 23 says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. All of God's people in verse 20 are told to rejoice because the visible source of the spiritual wickedness that has reigned on earth has finally been cast down. This world system that, that chews people up and spits them out. It's been going on for a long time. It's finally been cast down. I want you to think about this just for a moment. The seductive power of Babylon that tempted all the kings and people of the earth has been condemned. It seduced people to defy God and seek self-gratification instead of God's righteousness. That's what it's done from the beginning of time. Did God really say this? Remember, that was what was told to Eve in the very beginning. Did God really say that? This same harlot is who tempted Jesus to worship Satan in order to rule all the kingdoms of the earth in Luke 4, 5 through 7. I want you to think about that. What did they say the devil told Jesus that day? He said it took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment's time, and said, if you'll but just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. That seductive power that it had to lure people in for power and authority and wealth and, and pomp and circumstance, all the things that Babylon stands for, was there tempting Jesus after he'd fasted 40 days and was hungry. Jesus defeated Babylon that day, but left it standing for a short time. Now here in Revelation 18, we see that the mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth is no more. Hallelujah. The Bible says to rejoice over them things. Amen. Amen. This future godless city will become the greatest city in the world. The whole earth will be satisfied through its wickedness and sorcery. Everything considered anti-God will thrive there. This city will be the capital of the world. It will be the hub of all things bought and sold. And all commerce through the entire world will be channeled through this city. I'll give you a brief explanation of my thought process there. 
Uh, Elizabeth helped me look this up the other day because I'd heard a news story. Have you ever heard of this co- this new company now called Amazon? I believe it's based in Seattle, correct? All right, it's a sh- it's just basically a shipping thing. They get goods in from people who make it, the factories who, who produce things, and it's a hub that they send out everything. And now with this pandemic, it has really took off because people don't want to go to stores and things. And it's really a convenient thing. I'm not trying to say it's it's babbling or anything. I'm just saying this. We can see in the earth today what's similar going to happen. Uh, on October the 13th and 14th, Amazon, the company, reported that they sold... billion worth of merchandise in those two days around the world. From one central location, $10.4 billion of stuff went out into the world. And it's only going to get greater. So we can see that there's things like this already similar to this happening. And Babylon is going to become the central hub for all things bought and sold. How that will all work out, I'm not real sure. But the Bible says that's what's going to happen. That everything on the earth is going to be funneled through this place. And that's why then everybody, when they see it fall, they're going to be like, oh no, what are we going to do? How are we going to make money? How are we going to get our goods? What are we going to do about this? Amen. At some point, at some point, the Antichrist and his league of ten nations, which we talked about last week, will turn against this city and destroy it, thus fulfilling Revelation 17, 8 through 17. Now I'm just going to give you my opinion and we're going to close with that. I'm not sitting here telling you, thus saith the Lord. I'm just judging this by the scriptures and, and the way that we have studied it and understood it. My opinion is, is, at, is it is at this point in time when Babylon falls, when he attacks Babylon and his league of ten nations, he comes against them and destroys it. The Bible says that God had put in their hearts to utterly destroy it and rain fire down upon it. Amen. So this is when the Antichrist seizes control of all commerce throughout the world. You have to think about it this way. This is when he will uh, force people to worship him and receive his mark in order to buy and sell anything. Now think about this. Since he has destroyed Babylon, which was the hub of everything, he will at that point control all the distribution centers of all things man needs and desires. Wow. And think about this. Through virtual technology that we all have, have been a part of now here lately, through virtual technology, it will be very easy to set up live stream worship services of the Antichrist throughout the whole entire world. People could take one of their cell phones and be as far away from wherever the Antichrist is that you can go. Maybe even astronauts in outer space and they'll be able to take their little device and live stream a worship service of people worshiping and honoring the Antichrist and you can join in with it. Think about how close those things could happen. Think about that. It's not so far-fetched anymore, is it? It will also be very easy to tell people if you want to access the, in quotes, World Bank, then you must pay homage to the Antichrist and receive his mark in your forehead or on your hand. Think about what that will do. When those people see those marks either on your hand or on your forehead, the powers that be, the authority, the police, the military, whoever it is that's going to be enforcing all this stuff, when they see that mark on your head or your hand, that gives them, that gives them a little bit of security to know that you're not going to be rebellious. They know, okay, well, we know they're worshiping the beast and we know everything's good, so we don't have to worry about them. They're not going to be rebellious. And see, they're going to talk people into those things. 
But it's all going to be about worshiping the Antichrist. May we remember this. And I'm going to close with this last thought. May we remember that it was Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was the first to destroy Jerusalem. He utterly destroyed it. Destroyed the wall. Destroyed the temple. He tore everything down that King David and Solomon had built. Very dreadful. They had had some attacks. They had had some, a few little things going, but the city remained mostly intact. But he, the king of Babylon, was the first to destroy Jerusalem. He was the first pagan king to plunder the temple of God in Jerusalem. And he was the first to carry away the descendants of King David from Judah as exiles and slaves. And he was the first to force the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to worship him as a god. Remember what he told the three Hebrew children? Worship my image. And they refused. It is fitting that Babylon is also going to be the last city who will rule over the land of Israel. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, will not stand forever. She will be cast down. Amen and amen. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, we've delivered the words which you've given us. As we've read Revelation 18, the fall of that great city Babylon. Lord, from all these things, we take one thing that most serious from this that we've learned today for us to come out from among that. Let us not be rebellious people. Let us not work against you and be defined in any way unto thy commands. But let us follow you as good soldiers of Christ in his army, working in this world we live in today to, to teach and to show people there is a better way than to, to serve under this great harlot, this great prostitute called Babylon. We don't have to be influenced like the rest of the world and the rest of the kings. But Lord, you've put us in your kingdom. And Lord, now your kingdom resists this great city Babylon. And we give you thanks today that one day you're going to put it down. And one day it will come to an end and there'll be no more of this tempting God's people to do the things that are not godly and not what is right in your eyes. So Father, we thank you for this lesson. We pray God that each and every one that's heard this lesson today will take it to heart and for us to come out from among Babylon and not be a partaker in her judgments because we know, Lord, that it must be soon at hand that it's going to take place. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. And thank you for these that's gathered here today and listening by other means. Keep them all safe until the next time we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.